uh, start in 1 John chapter 2 tonight, and you have a bulletin with uh, some outline points on it. And in 1 John chapter 2, John tells us it is the last time, and I want to talk about that a little bit tonight. 1 John 2 and verse 18, little children, he says, it is the last time, literally the last ora, hour in Greek. You have heard that Antichrist shall come. Even now are there many Antichrists, wherefore we know it is the last time. We're kind of used to those expressions in the Word of God. I, I hope you are anyway. Uh, the Bible tells us often uh, these things, that it is the last time. For example, in uh, 1 Peter 1.5, we are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And 1 Peter 1.20, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Sometimes these days in which we live are expressed with the word days. 2 Peter 3.3, knowing this first, there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts and so forth. And 2 Timothy 3.1, this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. And then again, sometimes it's expressed with the word hour. And in our verse here, literally, that's the Greek word, ora, or hour. Revelation 3.3 says that, therefore, watch, if you watch not, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. And Revelation 3.10, uh, I will also keep thee from the hour of temptation which shall come upon all the world. And so uh, there is a time coming when the Lord will return, right? As a matter of fact, Revelation 9.15, a little farther, says, The four angels were loosed, which were prepared for an hour, a day, a month, and a year to slay the third part of men on the earth. And so God knows when this time will be. He has it appointed to the very hour. We don't know. Even the Lord himself said that's God the Father's prerogative. He knows that time. Uh, but it's enough for us to know that uh, we've been in the last days uh, since the apostles wrote these things. It's kind of funny, isn't it, to think that uh, we've been in the last hour for 2,000 years. <laughs> I mean, that's longer than the, than the dispensation of law lasted. We've been in the last days for 2,000 years. But, of course, what that also means to us is that the coming of Christ is imminent, and it could have happened at any time within the last days. So as you think about these kinds of things in the Scripture, uh, does it register in your mind that we are in the last days? Do you think that we could be? Because, you know, Peter also said in the, in the last days when the scoffers will come, they will say, all things continue as they were from the beginning. There's been no change. It's been kind of uniformitarianism. Everything just goes on, and, and it will forever. Uh, and only alarmists, you know, uh, uh, walk around saying that uh, we, we should be afraid because God may uh, come at any time. And yet, the Bible does say he will come, and we've been told uh, that, that we are in that time when he could come. We are in the last days. Let me ask you these questions in this way. Are things getting better or worse in this world in which we live? I, I can tell by the expressions on your face what you think. Some, some may think 
things are getting better. You know, uh, some optimists may think that. Uh, you know, but uh, I say, again, that's kind of like hitting your head against a wall. It feels so good when you stop. So I don't think the world is getting better. I think we see slouching toward Gomorrah. I think we see uh, what's happening in our world. Paul said to Timothy, perilous times shall come. I think we live in those age. Let me ask you this. Are people more receptive to the gospel or less receptive in this day in which we live? Because uh, th this lie of Satan and, and of the coming Antichrist will be believed in the last time. Is the world believing that or is the world receptive to the gospel? I would say even in my short lifetime, uh, in the last half of the 20th century and now into the 21st century, I can see a real change in that, the reception of the gospel, uh, both here in our country and in other places in the world too. Is Israel more prominent in world affairs right now or less prominent? <laughs> I mean, d does I Israel figure in to uh, what's going to happen in the geopolitical uh, realm in this world? I would say very much so. And of course, before our lifetime, there wasn't even a nation called Israel to deal with, and now there is in our lifetime at this time. Could we, could we say that uh, the world could easily have a one-world religion, a, a world church. There's a number of ways that that could happen. And sometime there's going to be an antichrist, a false prophet, uh, who has this church and all others will not be allowed. Uh, could that happen? Could you see how that could come about? And along with that, could there easily be in our day a one-world monetary system? where you cannot buy and sell things without doing it that way, having that mark or implant or whatever it will be uh, on you. Good grief, I have it in my pocket right now. <laughs> you know, I can buy anything from anywhere in the world right now in my pocket. So uh, could we see how that would happen? I again, in our lifetime, we have seen that come about in such a way that before that, though, Prophecy was preached more in the old days by men who couldn't have seen what we see, and we preach less about it when we can see more of how these things could come about. Lastly, is the church of Jesus Christ in general, I'm talking about Christendom, in apostasy today or not? I mean, is there basically just unbelief in those who name the name of Christ in various different ways? Uh, I think there is. And so, even though we've been in the last days for 2,000 years, the coming of Christ is imminent. Not only the coming of Jesus Christ, because you and I look forward to that time. We look forward to uh, the end of this age because it will end with the rapture, and you and I will be caught out and, and caught up together with him to meet the Lord in the air. But there's, there's a coming judgment. And the world doesn't like to hear the preaching because they're not looking for the Lord to deliver them. They have to be looking for an Armageddon, for a tribulation, for judgment to come. And no one likes to think that uh, that's what's ahead for them or that could happen at any moment, but it can. Uh, so we call it the blessed hope and they call it a great tribulation. Well, uh, if we live in those times, then... Uh, 
the Bible gives us a number of different instructions about what we should be, how we should think, what we should be doing, and that's where my thoughts went from uh, this verse. And so I've given you uh, seven thoughts here with seven verses, and again, the list could be 12, 20, <laughs> whatever, but I, I left it at, at seven, and so uh, if you can, turn to these verses with me, but uh, I'll read them to you, and we'll think about these things. If we live in the last days, and we are looking for the Lord, and we're expecting that this could happen in our lifetime, first of all, we should live holy lives. Even Peter, in looking at that coming time when the Lord will make a new heaven and new earth, he says, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought we to be? And then he says, in holy conversation and godliness. Now let me emphasize to you that uh, I say live holy lives because if you know the Lord is Savior, you are a saint. And the word saint comes from the same word as the word holy. So a saint is a holy one. Literally means to be set apart. So God dwelling in you through his Holy Spirit sets you apart from the world expects you to live holy before him. And, and what manner of person then is that? Holy conversation and godliness. That word godliness there is the word Eusebius, which in English we could call it pious. And even that word we don't like today. But to live with piety, live with a holiness that affects you personally and changes your life. I, I was telling you this morning, in this morning's sermon, I used an illustration about C.I. Schofield. Let me use another illustration that I read last night in, that, in his biography as I was reading it. Again, Schofield that lived, he, he fought in the Civil War, so he's from that era, lived into the 20th century, was the uh, compiler or the author of the Schofield Reference Bible. And uh, before he got saved, though, his life was kind of a mess, like a lot of people uh, in those days. And being a very prominent lawyer himself, he traveled with those kinds of people. And so he, had a, he got into drinking and, until it was about to ruin his life. And uh, the way he got saved was he was sitting in his, in his law office, and a friend, a, a man that he had known for a long time, came to see him. They talked, and as the man was leaving, he stopped at the back door of his office, turned back around and said, Dr. Schofield, I have to ask you this question. He said, well, what is it? He said, why aren't you a Christian? <laughs> and Schofield said to him, because no one ever told me how to be a Christian. <laughs> and the man uh, told him, and they kneeled together and he accepted Christ as a Savior. And Schofield's testimony was, from that moment, he never took another drink and never had a desire to. Now, God, that, that doesn't always happen with everyone that has an addiction of whatever kind, that it just goes away immediately. But for some people, it does. And so for him, God just took that away from him right then. Well, he went on, as you know, to, to be cut. He left the law, practice of law, went into uh, the ministry, became a, a, a world-renowned speaker. He knew personally uh, D.L. Moody. As a matter of fact, he pastored the church that D.L. Moody attended in Northfield, Massachusetts, before Moody went to Chicago. Can you imagine having him in your service, although he probably never was there because he's always speaking somewhere else. Well, the two of them used to speak in conferences a lot. And uh, 
and Schofield would always use this illustration of how he was a drunkard and God saved him out of that life. And Moody came to him one time and said, Schofield, he said, you know, I think that talking about drinking is kind of below you and that you really ought not to talk about drinking like that to crowds because it may encourage people in the wrong way. So I would advise you not to do that. Well, Schofield said he took that, you know, D.L. Moody, he took, he took his advice very seriously. And for a while, he, had, he didn't use that in his testimony for a long time. But he was in a meeting, and Moody was there, and it was thousands of people, and they were preaching. And, and he said, the, the Lord just led me to use it. And so he said, in my testimony that night, I talked about how God had delivered me from drinking. And they had a great service. Many people came forward and got saved. Some uh, repented of their sin, drinking, and all that. So they had this great service. And afterwards, <laughs> Deal Moody comes to C.I. Schofield and says, Schofield, next time I advise you to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit and not the leading of D.L. Moody. <laughs> It delivered him from that. You know, we don't hear stories like that too much anymore and, and hear testimonies like that because God saves us to live holy lives. And so that's the first point. Secondly, we're to awake out of sleep. Now, in, in, in Romans 13, that chapter that talks about uh, our submission to government authorities in our life, but it ends in a different way. We're to do all of that and more because in verse 11, that knowing the time, that now is the high time to, notice, wake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Notice the lettuce patch here again, another one. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife nor envying. Put on, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. But my thought here is to awake out of sleep. And uh, I happen to know from this passage, because I've done this study before, there, there are three words in the New Testament that refer to sleep. One word is koimao, which means to be dead, and that's the word for cemetery. So there, uh, you know that the Bible refers to those who have died as those who are asleep. That's one word, pretty common word. Another word, kathuto, means kind of a spiritual lethargy uh, to wake up, you know, uh, though you're not dead, just wake up spiritually. But then you have a third word, which is a, 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 an odder word, hoopnos, it's pronounced, but it only appears five times in the New Testament, and it has to do with very deep sleep, more than cathudo, more than just being spiritually inattentive. You need to wake up and do the right thing. This word means really deep sleep. It's used first of Joseph when the angel came to him and, he, and revealed to him that he should marry Mary and go on with his marriage. You remember in that sleep when he received that vision. It's used of the disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration when they fell into that deep sleep on the Mount of Transfiguration. It's used of Lazarus when Jesus said, he's not dead, but he sleeps. Now that's a pretty deep sleep. And in Acts chapter 20, it's used twice 
of Eutychus, the young boy who fell asleep in preaching. So don't you do it in my preaching. But when you fall asleep to preaching, it's pretty deep sleep. And then the other time that it's used is here in our passage. Isn't it kind of unique that we are to awake out of deep sleep? I mean, sleep that has caused you uh, to hear nothing and cause, you have no effect on your Christian life. That kind of a sleep. You're like Lazarus who's dead in your, in your sleep. Uh, like Eutychus who doesn't hear anything, can fall out of the loft, uh, you know, and fall to the floor. That kind of sleep. Awake out of sleep. Cast off, put on, walk uh, in newness of life. These are the kinds of things. The, the church of Jesus Christ today needs to wake up out of a deep sleep. Because in these end times when things are as bad and, and the darkness is as dark as it's ever been, the church is asleep. And we can be asleep in our Christian life. So live holy lives. Awake out of sleep. Thirdly, be a prayerful people. How many uh, references could we have used for this? But 1 Peter 4, 7 says, The end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. If we are that close, if we are in the end time, if the end of all things is at hand, then there are lots of things we should do. Be sober, mean, uh, you know, be attentive, be sensitive, know what's going on around you. But not only that, watch unto prayer. I'm kind of reminded of a Gethsemane when the Lord took Peter, James, and John apart and went off uh, a ways in the garden and said, you remain here and I'll go further and pray. And he says to them, watch and pray. You know, everybody who's looked around during a prayer uses that as their excuse. Well, the Lord said to watch and pray, you know, but uh, he had said to the disciples, stay here, watch and pray, meaning be attentive, pray and be watchful in your prayer of things that you're doing. I don't know about you, but uh, we all, I, I do know about you, we all have this problem, don't we? Uh, we can be praying and our mind is going somewhere else, especially when someone's leading us in prayer and we're having to listen, and if the prayer is any length at all, our mind can go who knows where. And, and you know that sometimes you can be talking to the Lord and your mind goes directly to something else, and you have to apologize to the Lord for letting your mind wander. I mean, you know, we're susceptible to this. So watch and pray. Jesus said to the disciples that you enter not into temptation, because these things tempt us away. So folks, prayer is something we can all do, and it is needed more, evidently, uh, Peter says, uh, in the last days and at any time. Let's be attentive in our prayers. Let's be people of prayer. Let's, let's watch and pray that we don't enter into the temptation of the age. The world needs that. People need that. Our families, our kids need that. Watch and pray. Be prayerful people. Fourthly, we need to deny the world, of course. And so here in Titus uh, 2, 13, the grace of God hath appeared to all men. And Praise the Lord for grace. But verse 12 says, teaching us that. I mean, grace teaches us what? That we can do anything we want to do now because we're under grace, not under law? That we can sin that grace may abound? God forbid, the apostle said. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts. 
We should live soberly, righteously, and godly. All the things that we have said. In this present world, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. As we look for Him, then let us deny ungodliness, worldly lusts, and so forth. And notice in that, in that passage where it says, uh, in this present world, that expression uh, noon I own means this now age. And that is exactly the expression that Paul uses of Demas in 2 Timothy chapter 4 when he says, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. He loved this now age. And folks, we live in a now age. And this now age in which we live in uh, has too many things to distract us. As a matter of fact, uh, people talk about grace as if it is some kind of license to sin because, you, you, uh, you know, God just allows everything and those old mean uh, conservative fundamentalists, you know, they've told us not to do these things, but now we can do them. So go ahead. I mean, that's the way it is. Deny ungodliness and worldly lust. Let me tell you another funny story it happened to me Friday morning. I, I went to the dentist, but there's just a routine cleaning. You know, you, you have a couple appointments a year. And uh, uh, this lady that does the she I get the same lady every time she lives in Smithville and uh, she has adult kids that live at home with her and um, uh, so she knows I'm a, a pastor of a church here I've talked to her before but uh, it so happened that she lives up here in Smithville and and you guys had a pretty heavy hailstorm uh, Thursday night was it or, or just before that so it's Friday morning 8 a.m. I'm sitting in the chair at the dentist's office, and she turns on the, uh, the local news because she says, man, you know, uh, I don't know what kind of damage we had, but it must have been a lot. So she wanted to watch the local news. So you know how you're sitting in the dentist chair, and they have this little flat screen TV there, you know, and do you want to watch this? And I, I don't care. So she turns on the local news because she's cleaning my mouth and watching the news. I don't know how she did it, but anyway, uh, <laughs> so, so she took that that TV, it's on one of those uh, detractable, detractable, contractable, whatever things. And she pulled it way out, right up. I mean, it was this close to my face. And here she is, look at, <laughs> and you know, and you can't say anything. You got your, you know, I'm being waterboarded. I mean, she's putting, <laughs> pouring water down my throat. And so I'm not saying anything. She's watching this. Well, you get done with the cleaning and she doesn't move it. She leaves it right there. And the and the weather goes off, and now the news goes off, and something somewhere around Kansas City, there was a concert going on. I think it was live, and although maybe it was from the day before. I don't know. But they switch from the weather to this concert. And so I'm stuck in this chair <laughs> with my mouth hanging open and some lady picking around at my teeth and a rock concert about 18 inches from my face and it doesn't bother her at all it just goes on and I haven't been to a rock concert guy people in a long time but I was Friday morning I guess and I it about drove me crazy I I would have just gone ahead and drowned there in the chair then hear that and you know what? I couldn't think. And of course, this was, I, who knows who it was singing. I don't know these people. But, but I thought to myself, we have Christian people imitating that. 
We have people in this world thinking that if we do that, somehow we're helping the cause of Christ. And sitting, to me, it was an offense to me. Uh, I don't know how people take that. And this was, you know, this wasn't Christian. This was secular of some kind, but it could have been Christian. I mean, from what I've seen on uh, ads and the rest, uh, the Christian concerts look the same. I'm just saying, uh, are we at a time where where we're denying the world and what it has to offer us, or are we at a time when even the Church of Jesus Christ is welcoming it and celebrating it and so forth? I think that's where we are. Let me go on. I, I could go on there for too, too long. Number five, be patient. We're to be a patient people. Now, James 5 has a unique passage where James, uh, from verses 7, actually through verse 10, uses this word patient. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Now, you know, and I've, I've defined this word often as well, the common word for patience is hupamene, to remain under a burden, and, and you're to be patient and remain under a burden. The other word for patience is macrothumia, which is the one that appears here, which elsewhere is translated long-suffering. And so what James is really talking about here is more the long-suffering uh, idea of patience than the bearing under the burden. So everywhere... In, the, in our King James Version that I'm reading here, the word patience occurs four times from verse 7 through verse 10. Every time, it's the word uh, macrothumia, that we are to have this long-suffering look uh, as we know that the coming of the Lord is nigh. We're to be looking for it, long-suffering. In, this word is used in 2 Peter 3, 9, where Peter says, God is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Well, how is God long-suffering? Waiting for people, preaching to people, letting, giving people time to be saved, knowing that the time is short, and people need to hear this while they have time to be saved. We need to have that same kind of patience and be patient for the coming of the Lord because it could happen any time. If God is long-suffering in these days, we can be long-suffering. And we can suffer with it. We can live in this world but not be of the world. We can, we can see the sin of this world without participating in it. We can do that and still preach the gospel and be the Christians that, that we should be. Remember this, that, that your life, is a speck of time in eternity. Not even a speck. (laughs) Uh, The time we have on this earth and the time we have left on this earth is nothing compared to eternity. We will live in eternity with the Lord looking back at the time that we had to serve Him. And what will we think? What did we do? Did we waste that time? Did we, did we waste the power of the Spirit in our lives? Did we, when we had our opportunity in eternity to do something for the cause of Christ, what did we do with it? The remedy to that is long-suffering. I've got this much time, and I'm going to use it for the Lord. All right? So we're to, uh, number five, be patient. And then number six, we're to comfort one another. 
And here, uh, this word comfort appears often in the Scripture. I use 1 Thessalonians 4.18, which is the end of the great rapture passage where uh, the, the, the Lord is speaking to us about the coming of the Lord that way. And then at the end of it, in 4.18 says, Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. And again, in chapter 5 and verse 11, wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also you do. Now, the word comfort here is that old familiar word like paraclete, the, the one who comes alongside you, just as the Holy Spirit is our paraclete, our comfort, our advocate. Jesus Christ is our advocate. We are to be advocates to one another. We're to come alongside one another, hold each other up, comfort, and encourage one another because the coming of the Lord is nigh. Let's be faithful unto the end. Let's be right before the Lord. He may come today. Let's live for him. Let me, let me read to you, I'll only do this once, J.I. Packer in a book some years ago called Truth and Power that I read, and I kept this quote uh, about this word in this passage. He says, the prayer tells us that comfort from Scripture sustains Christians in their hope that unfailing present grace will lead them on to unfading eternal glory. Comfort, quote-unquote, here carries the old, strong, 16th century sense drawn from the Latin verb confortare, I think it is, comfortare, which means to make strong. Comfort of this sort is not the soothing that ends tension and makes you relax, but the strengthening that comes from encouragement that energizes and puts new heart into you. That's this word comfort here. Then uh, Packer goes on to talk about the bayou, or the bayou, I guess it's pronounced tapestry, in Bayou, France, that is in their museum. And this old tapestry depicts William the Conqueror conquering England uh, in 1066. And from that time when he conquered England in 1066, defeating uh, Harold of Saxons, so the, the, the uh, Norman invasion conquered the Saxons, they made a tapestry. Some people believe it came from that age or maybe a few years after. This tapestry that still exists, and you can go see it, is 230 feet long and 20 inches high. 20 inches high 230 feet long, and it depicts, like they used to in those days, this tapestry as they made the battles of Normandy as, this, as these battles were taking place. Well, underneath the tapestry, where the generals, both William the Conqueror and Harold of Saxon, is, is, is uh, encouraging their men, is the old Latin word, comfort ye, comfort ye. It sounds odd in a military depiction that the general is saying to his people, comfort ye. But you have to go back to this original meaning of the word comfort, as J.I. Packer was pointing out. And it means onward, be strong, comforte, be strong. And that is the word Paul is using to us as he thinks about 
our coming victory that is going to come when the Lord returns and our general is saying to us, comfort ye. Or as, you know, the writer of Hebrews, in, when he said to us in chapter 10, to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, but he says, rather, consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. Provoke one another to love and good works. So that comfort one another is this, you know, pick up the, 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 the hands that hang down and strengthen the feeble knees and look to those around you who are losing faith and losing hope and comfort them and saying, no, the Lord is coming. That's number six. And then number seven, lastly, is to glorify God. So in 2 Thessalonians 1, you have a short chapter that, that pictures the coming of the Lord when he will not only rescue his saints and be glorified in his saints, but he will also judge the world. So verse 10 goes on saying, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and be to admired in all them that believe in that day. You know that there's coming a time when we will be raptured out, we will go to heaven, we will be with the Lord, receive our rewards, and then we'll come back with him to the earth. And when we come back, we will bring glory to him as we ride back with him to this earth. And some have supposed that maybe the gold, silver, and precious stone that we earn at the Bema Seat of Christ will be those things that reflect His glory, picturesque way, reflect His glory when we return with Him. And so our earning those rewards, glorifying God in this life so that we receive those rewards and that we glorify Him when we return with Him, is perhaps what Paul is speaking about in this. Wherefore also we pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and work of faith and power that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we look for the Lord to come, let's glorify him. Because when we glorify the Lord, we glorify Him not only now, but later as the bride of Christ when He comes uh, and we come with Him to this earth. That is a great thing, uh, that we can glorify the Lord both now and later. So we have these seven things. Um, let, me, let me use as a conclusion Paul's words in his last words in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Do you remember when he says, I'm ready to be offered the time of my departures at hand? The ship is ready to leave the dock. I'm on, I'm on board and I'm going to wave goodbye, he says, because he knew he was in that prison, he was going to die. And then he said, I fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me in that day. And I'm sure Paul uh, will have that crown. Then he says, not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. And so I hope that from this, th these few verses that we've looked at tonight, you also love his appearing. And I like the way the older version puts uh, the prepositions in this verse. I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I have kept the faith. In other words, there's a fight to fight, and it's a good fight. 
It may not seem like that to the people who don't know the Lord, but the fight for the Lord is a good fight. And secondly, there's a course to run, and it's your course. I've kept my course, Paul says. It may not be the same one you'll run. It may not be the same way God leads you. But however God leads you, that's your course. And you want to say someday, I fought a good fight, but I have, I have finished my course. And then lastly, he says, but I have kept the faith because there is the faith. And that's the faith we believe. That's the faith of the Word of God. That's the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That doesn't change for any of us. We keep the same faith that Paul kept. We keep the same faith that all believers have kept. And so we need to keep that faith. Let's do those three things. And love is appearing. And there's a crown of righteousness waiting for us too. Stand with me if you will. Let's bow our heads before we sing a song. And let's ask the Lord to help and bless in what we have heard. Father, now in heaven, thank you for uh, reminding us of, of the day in which we live. Uh, we know it. We know it in our heads, but sometimes we forget it in our hearts. And Father, if we have then uh, forgotten, if we have gone into deep sleep, if we, if we have loved this world more than you, if we've looked uh, at the world rather than at the coming of Christ, then Father, forgive us tonight. Show us that error in our own heart and cause us, Father, to confess that before you. But rather, uh, strengthen us, encourage us that we may go on and uh, be what we should be in this world for your sake to fight a good fight and to finish our course and to keep the faith. So bless as we think about these things and sing this song. May you be glorified by it. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. John, come.